Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Good morning. How's it going? Just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever been on a backpacking trip? And when I say backpacking, I mean not car camping, okay, where you're going to take your air mattress and your dog and your bike, but I mean like Lewis and Clark blazing the trail, carry everything on your back backpacking. How many of you have been on one of those? Okay, a decent amount of you. You know, one of the things that makes or breaks a trip when you go backpacking is the weight of your bag. If you have a bag that is too heavy, your shoulders are going to hurt, your back's going to hurt, it's just not going to be any fun at all. Um, It could hurt you, um, or it could just be really annoying the whole time. So weight management is a huge part of of your preparation for backpacking, and as you pack, you kind of shed all the non-essentials. You leave the bocce ball set at home, <laughs> right? Because you know, everything that you carry above and beyond the essentials of food, shelter, fire, navigation, you're carrying that weight. And it might be, that thing itself might be little, but combined with everything else that's little, it, it adds up to be a decent amount. And so... You've got to get ruthless with yourself. Because otherwise, you're just carrying around unnecessary weight and it's self-detrimental. It's foolish. Now, if we were to imagine life like a backpacking trip, a lot of you, a lot of us, myself included, seems like we're just carrying a lot of unnecessary weight. We'll pick something up and put it in our bag that doesn't really belong there. And we just, for whatever reason, decide to just keep carrying it around. And the result is that we walk through life with this heavy bag on our back and we are anxious, we are weighed down, we're worried and we're stressed out. Our hair gets gray, we gain weight, shorter lifespan, all that stuff. It hurts us spiritually as well. And so we're going to look at a passage this morning where God invites us to take the backpack off and just rest. And so if you would, open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. This is a verse that has meant a great deal to me in my own life, and I know to some of you as well. Before we get into it, though, let me me pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and lead this time, that you would speak to us through your word. Amen. Amen. All right, so it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Sawyer read it for us a little bit earlier. Thank you, Sawyer. Well, I want you to notice, first off, this passage has a threefold structure, so it's great Um, it's easy to preach in that way. It tells us what not to do, what to do, and the result of doing that thing. (laughs) What's that noise? (laughs) 
what not to do, what to do, and the result of doing that thing. Okay, so the first thing, the passage begins by giving us a negative command. It tells us not to do something. And what is the thing we're not supposed to do? We're not supposed to be anxious about anything. Well, that's pretty much impossible. I mean, that sounds really difficult. All of us experience stress in our life, right? From work, money, family relationships, schedules are too busy, an illness. I mean, you name it. Every day. I mean, Jesus himself said each day has enough worry of its own. I mean, our days are filled with things to cause us stress. How are we not to be anxious about anything? You know, there are some commands in the Bible, like eating pork, that were to be obeyed for a time, and because of Christ, they don't need to be obeyed anymore. There's a few of those. And thank the Lord that eating pork is one of those, because that means you and I can now have bacon. (laughs) But this is not one of those commands. This is a command given to modern-day Christians, which means for you or I to disobey this command It's actually a sin, and it's one that we take really lightly and that we disobey all the time. I mean, how many times have you said or heard somebody say something along the lines of, you know, work's been a little bit busy lately, so just it's been kind of a stressful season. Or, um, you know, my son or daughter is going off to college, so money's going to be tied. I'm a little bit worried about how that's going to work out. I mean, you just kind of nonchalantly throw it in there, and what you don't realize that you're doing is you're actually confessing sin. I read one commentator that called anxiety unconscious blasphemy. I was just like, dude, chill. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's weird? Most sin, and I'm not promoting any of it, but most sin is at least appealing. I mean, it's something that we at least kind of want to do that we shouldn't do right? Anxiety's not that way. It's so, I mean, none of us like want to walk around life being anxious and worried and biting our fingernails. It kind of feels like it just sort of happens, right? And so it's a weird sin in that way. It's not, it's not like, you know, like stealing where we think we're going to get some sort of benefit from it. We know we don't want to do it, and yet we do it anyway. Um, why is it such a big deal? Why, why would the commentator call it unconscious blasphemy? Why would I call it sin? And the reason I think is this, is anxiety, at least in the sense that this passage is talking about, it betrays a lack of trust in God. We're like the disciples in Mark chapter 4. If you remember, they're in a boat, and they're going to cross this this Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes up, and it starts tossing the boat back and forth, and they start taking on water, and they start trying to bail out the water. They start trying to turn the boat the right way, and it's just not working. They're, they are taking on more water, and they are sinking. And they cry out to Jesus, and they say, "Teach!" They w- he's sleeping. They wake him up and say, don't you care that we're going to drown? And they're not being melodramatic here. I mean, these are experienced fishermen who had, a lot of them had ex- grown up on that sea and experienced the weather that it had produced, okay? They knew what they were talking about. This was a serious storm. And Jesus wakes up and he miraculously stills the uh, wind and the waves. He says, be quiet, be still, and it's perfectly calm. And he turns to his disciples and he doesn't comfort them. 
he softly rebukes them. He says, why were you so afraid, O you of little faith? You didn't have faith. Don't. And then they, they're just like, who is this guy? But that fear, that anxiety, I mean, he makes it sound, in, in that sentence, that question, why were you so afraid? Why were you so anxious and worried and scared for your life? Don't you have any faith? I mean, all the times he walks around and says, oh, ye of little faith. Anxiety is the fruit of unbelief. It, it is the expression that I either don't know or I don't trust who's in control, ultimately. I might say that I do. I might even think that I do. But by my anxiety, I am, I am expressing that that's not true, at least not in this instance. Now, let me nuance it for a moment before it just sounds completely even more impossible than it did when I first read it. To have faith or to trust in God does not mean that you'll be unaffected from life and things will always be easy. It doesn't mean that the things that cause you stress aren't genuinely difficult, big, heavy things. They are. In fact, It doesn't even mean that you won't experience difficulty or sadness or heaviness of heart. It doesn't mean any of that. Think about Jesus himself. Before he was crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and the Bible says that he is full of anguish. He's got a heavy heart here, and it says that he is sweating, and it's like drops of blood. I mean, he's, he's feeling it, okay? But it's not because he doesn't know or trust who's in control. Clearly, if you were to read that prayer and read that section of scripture, he does. Trust is the ultimate resignation that in spite of those things, in spite of the fact that it is difficult, it's not to minimize the reality of whatever's causing you stress in life, that I know and trust who's in control, and he's bigger than those things. Another thing having faith in God does not mean is it's not an excuse for apathy or laziness. Um, I was listening to a talk show, radio talk show, and this guy, uh, who, or the woman who called in, her husband was unwilling to fill out any job applications or f- put out a resume or do any job searching because he believed that God was just, he would pray and God was just going to provide the right job for him. Okay? That is just not true. There's a reason she was calling in. They were unemployed, they were on welfare, and they were having a hard time because he wouldn't do anything. That's not faith. That's just laziness, okay? Um, And if you know anything about the guy that wrote this passage, he was far from lazy or apathetic. Faith in God means I I will work really hard. I'll work work as hard as I can, but I'm going to recognize my human limitations, and I'm going to trust God with the rest. So, caring is a virtue, but to foster worry, to bite our fingernails, that's not. That's not a virtue. So, that's the negative part of the sermon. That's the negative part of this text, something Paul tells us not to do. But what's great about the Bible is a lot of times when it tells us to stop doing something, it's not just a slap on the wrist and say, stop that, Okay? And it will also tell us to replace it with something else. And so that's exactly what Paul does here. Instead of being anxious, which betrays a lack of trust in the Lord, we are to pray. Which when you think about the nature of prayer, that is the ultimate expression of faith. Right? 
that I believe God is in control and I believe he's good and therefore I'm going to come before him with my request, come before him with the things that are weighing me down. The text says to pray about everything, right? Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything. And that everything is contrasting to anything. So the same things that are causing you stress that you're not supposed to be anxious about, those are the things you're to pray about. Maybe your kids are having a hard time with each other or at school or whatever. That is a matter of prayer. Maybe you're looking at the budget and things are just really tight this month. That is a matter of prayer. Maybe your marriage is struggling and that's causing you stress and you don't want to come home from work. That's, gonna, that's a matter of prayer. It can be big things, it can be little things. It can be the spiritual things in your life or it can be kind of the real life, the nitty gritty things. All of it is fair game. I mean, there's really no exclusions here. This is an invitation for your broken down car, your sick kid, your busy schedule, all of it can come before the Lord. And I want you to just think about that for a moment. The fact that you, a single individual human, have been in, you have been invited into the throne room of God, the creator of the universe, who is in charge of at this moment, like over 7 billion souls who created and sustains every living organism on this planet. And you've been invited in to drop your bag at his feet. The one on whose shoulders rests the weight of the world, he invites you in to add your pile on top of it. Doesn't he have better things to do than to listen to you or me? Absolutely he does. There are people who are in far more desperate situations than you and me. There are people who are in far more powerful situations than you and I. But thankfully, God is not limited like you and me. He's not limited in patience or in time. And so regardless of who you are or what your circumstance is, God has invited you to drop everything at his feet, to cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's awesome. That is a huge invitation. That is a huge privilege. But there's a condition here. It says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. We are to pray with thanksgiving because even in our deepest and darkest moments, we still have reasons to be thankful. Even when life is feeling stressful, we do have reasons to be thankful. Um, I'm going to just give you two ways that I try to apply this for myself personally and hopefully it'll help you. First, try to rehearse how God has been faithful to you individually in the past. So if I'm praying about something uh, that might be causing me anxiety, I'll just try to start out by thanking God for how he has already worked in my life before I get started on the issue at hand. Okay, So I might thank him for something really big and really kind of all-encompassing, like sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I might thank him for uh, my wife or my kids. Um, Our vehicle is a huge answer to prayer, so a lot of times I'll thank the Lord for miraculously providing for us that way. Uh, Or our housing situation, God has really taken care of us um, in our housing. And so, I mean, just all sorts of things. I try to think of how God has specifically been faithful to me. One of the... Um, perpetual sins of the Israelites in the Old Testament is they would just forget, it seems like, all the time how good God had been to them. 
And so to prevent you from falling into that trap, one of the things you can do is just rehearse God's faithfulness in your own life of what he has done for you. And what that's gonna do is that's gonna reinforce that you do know and you do trust who's in control. That whatever situation is at hand here, because his track record in the past, you can trust him in the present. The second thing is that even when things are dark or stressful, even when you're praying about something that's uh, causing you anxiety, try to look for some sort of silver lining, something for which you can be thankful. So, a story from my own life. When my, a few years ago, my uh, brother was living in Phoenix and he got a pretty serious head injury and he had to go to the hospital and they had to do brain surgery. His brain was swelling and uh, he has since made an almost full recovery, which I think is a huge answer to prayer. It's almost a miracle. Not almost, it is a miracle. And, but we didn't know that at the time. At the time, uh, I was down there, the doctor said, he's, he might not make it. And if he does, he's not going to recognize himself or anybody else. He's going to need a feeding tube. I mean, it was, it was dark. Um, and this was just a few years after my dad had unexpectedly passed away as well. So you can imagine my stepmom and my family, we're, it, was, it was a rough patch. Um, and so there was a lot of anxiety and stress kind of in that season. And so you can imagine, we've got a lot to pray about, right? And I can remember walking um, in the little prayer garden at the hospital with my little, little brother, not the one that got the injury, but a different one. And we were thanking the Lord that the hospital that uh, is in Phoenix that my brother was in, it's one of the best in the nation for neuroscience and neurosurgery. Like, just thank you, Lord, that if, even though I, I would prefer that he hadn't got hurt, obviously, but that even though he did, he's in one of the, he's got the best, one of the best doctors in the world here. He's in one of the best centers. So thank you, God, that, that here is where he got hurt. So I'm, I'm just confident that whatever situation you're in, there's some way that God has prevented it from being even worse. Um, I've got this quote that I found helpful and encouraging, and maybe you will too. It says, address no prayer to him, that's to God, address no prayer to him even out of the deepest distress without thanksgiving. For even in the greatest misery, you have more reason for thanksgiving and joy than for sorrow and complaint. Let me say that again. Address no prayer to him even out of the deepest distress without thanksgiving. For even in the greatest misery, you have more reason for thanksgiving and joy than for sorrow and complaint. Now, it's not saying not to pray about the thing that's causing you stress. You should, okay? But make sure, don't forget, you are to pray with thanksgiving. And if you're a believer, this is totally true. Your best days are always ahead. Uh, what he has done for you in Christ is, is so big and so magnificent. And just to dwell on that for a moment can help put your kind of current issue in, in some perspective. So, what not to do is to be anxious. What to do is to pray about everything with thanksgiving. And then the result, peace. Doesn't that sound good? Peace. Peace sounds good. Um, only a fool would reject peace in favor of anxiety. Only a fool would willingly put rocks in their backpack. And God here offers, God here offers to take on the weight for you. 
he offers a promise that his peace will protect us. So the text gives us three things about the peace. It tells us its nature, its function, and its source. So first thing is its nature. It says, it is the peace of God which transcends understanding. Okay, so its nature is that it is transcendent. Okay, that's a theological term which means beyond, bigger than, outside of kind of our human, normal human experience. So you think of kind of the midst of your life, the chaos of your life or whatever it is that's causing you stress, God is not impacted negatively by that. He's not like biting his fingernails, figuring out, oh, what's gonna happen? You know, he is above it. He is beyond it. He is outside of it. Now, he's also in it with you. There's awesome promises in scripture for that. But the peace here, it says, is transcendent. It is, it is not the kind of peace that you get when you sit down and you start to problem solve and you make a to-do list, which might be a very helpful and good thing to do. But if you write down like a to-do list of things you need to do to you know, get a handle on the situation, the peace that you get from praying and that God will give you is different than the peace you're going to be able to produce by your own calculations. I heard a great illustration of this the other day. Uh, one of our missionaries, his name is Derry Turner. He and his wife uh, live in Uganda, and they have for almost 20 years. And a while ago, like several, like more than a decade ago, 15 years or so ago, it was a conflict area. It was a conflict zone. And so they lived in the midst of a war zone, really. And he was never a target. Uh, he told me they never targeted him because they thought he had personal bodyguards, which he didn't, but he didn't choose to correct that belief. <laughs> but, uh, but he remembers, I mean, remember he's got, um, he has five kids, but four of them were with him at the time. Um, Gunfights, like literally right outside of his house. And stationary machine guns going off all over the place and this, all this infighting. And so a huge, in my opinion, that's a huge stressor. And so he said he remembered that when that would happen, uh, he would get all the family inside of his house. They would pray. And he said he knew that there had to be at least two walls. His house was made of brick, at least two walls between the outside and the people inside. And that would be enough to stop one of the bullets. And so they would just pull out the mattresses, pray and pray fall asleep in the hallway to the sound of war. Turn out the lights. And, and he said, no, kids didn't cry. No one was scared. My wife wasn't worried. And I'm just saying to myself, you're insane. <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. Embassy wouldn't let people within, I can't remember how close it was. It was like half a mile or something like that. They wouldn't let Westerners near where he was. And, and he's just in the midst, sleeping like a baby. And he, and he was just telling me, I mean, that's just the peace that God provided for the time that we needed. He could have chosen to, to freak out and to worry and, and, and to, you know, build up his house or try to get out or whatever, and he didn't. He prayed, and God protected their family physically, but also the peace. Oh, man, that is peace that surpasses understanding because it doesn't make sense. That's the point. The peace that you will experience if you were to pray about the thing that is bugging you, the peace that you will experience will not make sense to an outside observer because it surpasses understanding. All right, second, the peace actually does something. It guards our hearts and minds. 
It acts like this personal bodyguard against our own personal unbelief, against the attacks of Satan, and against the worries of the world. Now notice, notice here the promise is for the peace to guard your hearts and minds. The promise is entirely internal. There is no promise given here that he's going to change the circumstances. He might. And in other places in the scripture, he does respond to prayer by changing the circumstances. But that's not the promise given here. The promise here is that regardless of the external circumstances and what happens, the internal reality of your own heart and mind is that you will experience peace, the peace of God which transcends all understanding that it will be guarded. Everything that God promises you here has to do with internally how you're going to experience reality through the next season or through whatever it is that you're praying. This is written by a guy um, who practiced what he preached. This is not um, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He was not an ivory tower theologian. This book was written to the church in Philippi. And it was written about 10 years after he had planted the church there. And the story of him planting the church in Philippi, it's in Acts 16. Um, He converts a few people and they kind of start meeting and he's walking along and there's this girl who's possessed by a demon and um, these really mean guys basically are making money off of her. And Paul uh, exercises that demon. He gets the demon out of the lady. And for that, he's put in prison. And in prison, in Acts 16.25, it says, so he's in prison. He's ex- you could say he's experiencing stress. Um, he is It says that he is singing praises and hymns to God and the other prisoners are listening to him. And God does end up changing the external circumstances. He Literally, there's an earthquake and the doors open. And if you know the story, the Philippian jailer actually gets ready to kill himself because he knows if these prisoners get out, I'm going to be executed anyway. And he wants to do it himself. But Paul says, no, no, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And he ends up leading that guard to Christ. The reason I'm telling you all of that is that the original audience of this letter probably included that bodyguard who saw Paul practice this very verse. And the reason I'm telling you that is if, if any of you are thinking um, that Paul doesn't understand your stress, that this is kind of a, theoret- a nice in theory, but not really great in practice sort of thing, that's just not true. This was written by a guy who probably experienced more stress than a lot of us. And he knew what he was talking about. It's not some ivory tower, disengaged theologian. All right, so the final thing. The final three words, it says it'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the source of the peace. We can't miss this. It's easily overlooked, but this is the key to the peace. The promise here is that it is in Christ we have peace. Outside of him, There's no offer here for peace. We have to pick up the bag and keep walking. And it's not because God doesn't love us. He he wants to give everybody peace. Matthew 7 says he's he's like a good father. And the way that he does it is through Christ. And so we've got to come to God. The way that we come to that throne room and drop the bag is through belief in Jesus Christ. And some of us have been following him for a long time, but maybe you've kind of picked up the bag and started walking with it again. And Jesus is telling you, dude, drop it or do that. So the question for you this morning is, where are you? 
Are you, are you carrying your own bag full of unnecessary weight? Or is it time for you to just, maybe, maybe you do know the Lord, but, but you've, still, you've picked it back up. I just encourage you, spending time with the Lord in prayer, I know when we go to it, it seems like kind of maybe an obligation sometimes. When you walk away from spending significant time with the Lord, man, there is just a, there is a weight that is off of your chest that is, it is hard to describe unless you've experienced it. And so I, I really hope um, that you'll give this a shot, that you will pray seriously and, and lay before the Lord the things that are causing you stress. So we're going to close in prayer. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're, we've been doing it a little bit differently. So what we're going to do is um, imagine your pew is cut in half and circle up with the people behind you. We're going to pray in groups. And so go ahead and do that now. Don't start praying, but go ahead and get in your groups of maybe four to eight or so. And get in your groups and we'll get ready to pray together. Okay? Once you're in your groups, be aware of individuals or couples who uh, don't naturally fit into another group. Make sure everybody's included. And maybe just take a moment to shake hands and say, hey, my name is uh, Joe, my name is Barbara, whatever. And what I've got is prayer prompts here on the screen. And so if you need something to pray for, if you, if you are um, wanting some words to help you pray, they're right here on the screen. If you've got others in your own mind you want to pray, you go ahead and do that as well. Um, now if you remember, I'm encouraging, I know for some of you, praying out loud in a group is, is intimidating or is difficult. And I know if this is your first time with us, um, don't feel like you have any pressure to do that. But if you're a regular Philida churchgoer member, then I encourage you, before the series is over, which is next week, try it at least once. Okay, so um, maybe that's today, maybe it's next week, but uh, we only have two more chances. So, so go ahead and pray through these, and then um, in a little bit, Scott will get up. Before you begin praying, though, I want to just let you know, um, after the sermon today, I'll be hanging out up here if there's just to do a question and answer time about either this sermon or um, any of the previous ones about prayer or just any questions in general on prayer. Um, they can be theological or just practical and how, how it works or how to do it. And then um, after that, we'll do the facilitated prayer time. So if you've been going to room 11, we'll do that after the question and answer time here. So, okay, pray. Father, thank you that you so graciously invite us to come before your throne, your throne of grace, and you, you invite us to cast all our cares, all of our, our, our load, our weight upon you because you care for us. And thank you for that. Thank you for all that you are doing and are going to do. Um, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.